Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. Hello, my name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. Welcome back into the Prestige TV podcast feed. I'm Joanna Robinson. Joining me today, my, my one of my favorites. I can't pick like one favorite. Yeah. So I'll say one of many favorites. It's Van Latham Jr. Hello, Van. How are you? Hi. That's what parents do when they know that it's a lie. They say one of many they favorites? Say, they, they say, <laughs> hey, they go, which one is your favorite kid? See, I've had, gonna, <laughs> I've had the conversations with parents because all of my boys and stuff, they have a favorite kid. They have a favorite kid. They like the kid they like the most. I know that I'm probably your favorite, but you are my loving twin sister, and you will never, ever, we're the Luke and Leia of really the ringer, and you would never, ever, ever let anybody else know. That's okay. I get it. That's what we have to do. There are a lot of other shows coming up in this feed, just so people know. Uh, not all of them will feature <laughs> Luke and Leia Skywalker, but we've got right. um, we got a, we got a bunch of stuff next week. Uh, there's so much TV dropping. I know that Bill and Mallory are going to be covering Super Pumped, the Uber show that's on Showtime. Chris Ryan and I are going to be wrapping up Euphoria, the finale. Um, after the finale airs, we'll be checking in on Monday. Uh, we're going to be covering the Dropout, the Elizabeth Holmes grift show that's on Hulu. There's just like a ton of stuff. The Prestige TV podcast is going to be jammed with content for you guys. Um, But we are here today, this Friday, this beautiful Friday morning to talk to you about a new Apple TV Plus show, Severance. Um, But first, by the time you're hearing this, the first three episodes will have dropped um, on the platform. We're going to talk about all of them. Good news about hell, half loop, and in perpetuity. So you want to make sure that you were caught up all the way up through episode three lest we spoil something for you. Um, but that, that's what we're going to talk about. This is, um, this is a workplace comedy slash paranoia thriller. Six of the nine episodes are directed by Ben Stiller. Uh, and Adam Scott is here with a cast of, of a million stars to make us feel comfy about work. Uh, we have a lot of things to get to. We have a lot of things we want to talk to you. But I want to start first by just asking you, Van, like, what was your experience watching these episodes? Was the show what you expected? Did you enjoy your experience? Okay, so I didn't really know what the premise of the show was before going into it. 
which I saw a commercial that explained the entire premise. Oh, after? Uh, you haven't seen this commercial? No. Yeah, yeah I, after. After. I, I saw it after, which I'm assuming that this commercial did not exist prior to the premiere episode because it would be one of the most asinine things to ever do if it did exist because the premiere episode of the show to me is just masterfully done because you don't know what's happening but you know something is happening and god damn it joe i love being in that world yeah i love being in a world you know what reminds me of you remember san judipero Mm-hmm. Remember when you didn't quite know what was going on? If you guys don't know what San Junipero is, I talk about it every time I have the opportunity to. It's the single greatest episode of television <laughs> ever to me. <laughs> but whatever, it's a Black Mirror episode. But in San Junipero, you think that you're in a regular world set back in the 1980s. and They, they start saying things that lets you know that there's something different about where they are, but you don't know. I love being in that situation. And the entire first episode of this show, uh, which is the good news about hell, you're there and you don't learn until the end exactly what the premise is and exactly what sort of the machinations of this world are. The basic premise of the show is that uh, these workers at this um, shadowy omnipresent corporation, the Lumen Corporation, um, have opted in to have their work life brain and personality severed from their outside life and brain so that they have no memory of their outside life when they're inside the office and no memory of what happens inside the office when they're outside the office. Uh, And this leads to a lot of interesting questions about philosophical questions and and work-life balance and all of that. And I think it's a really, really, especially interesting time to talk about something like that in, in the time we are now where so so many of us, not all of us certainly, but so many of us are working from home, have been working from home. That work-life balance blur is very real, uh, yeah. real, realer than it's ever been before. So I think this is a really deeply interesting time to talk about this. But yeah, I mean, Black Mirror is a great comp for this show because the best episodes of Black Mirror just are exactly that, where you're thrown into a world and you get to figure out what's like a, a world that's not wholly different from your own the um the speculative fiction sort of space where you find out what the rules are as you go and that can be done like super clumsily in some cases uh where someone just sits there and tells you and then it can be done more subtly and masterfully and what i love about these first few episodes is we get a couple of different opportunities to learn the rules of this world whether it's via like orientation for a new employee um, in the form of the character Helly, played by Britt Lower, or outside the world, whether it's like a, an awkward dinner party or an awkward first date or whatever it is, there are these conversations where we're learning so much about the world, but it's baked into a forward-moving plot. And that's really hard to do because there's a lot of rules and questions and little tiny details of of this space. Did it ever feel like you were being sat down for a lecture about the rules or did it all feel like natural and folded into you? Not only did it not feel like I was being sat down for a lecture about the rules, it created the first episode in my head, an existential dilemma. Tell me about your existential dilemma. I wondered which world was the real world to him. Which world did he really want to be severed from? Because it seems to me 
that his life at Lumen is full of friends and full of authority and full of purpose. And his life on the other side, it's drabber. You can't hardly see anything. They're having dinners with no food where people are actually just like talking shit to him. <laughs> like, and so throughout the whole thing, I'm looking. And before I knew what the show was actually about, I was like, wow. I'm thinking to myself, oh, well, his life at work. Well, he's one of those weird guys that loves being at work because his life at work seems to be a lot better than his life at home. Then you, then they kind of drop it on you that he's actually living two completely different lives. And I'm like, what's real to him? So I think they rolled out, it's always the best way to do it. They rolled out the rules in the world with putting the viewer, or at least the Van Lathan viewer, in the in a in a dramatically unsure place. They didn't do the the single worst scene in exposition ever is actually in the the Dark Knight Rises. This is the single worst scene of exposition ever. Do you remember it, Joanna? Is it Taliel Ghoul talking about is it is it talking about getting out of the pit? What is it? No. It's the clean slate. Remember when the when, when yeah. the guy turns around and goes, the clean slate? You mean the piece of technology that allows you to blah, 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 blah? Motherfucker, why would you say that? Like, you would never say that. Like, you, you guys just didn't understand how to, you guys are doing too much in the movie, right? So that's bad exposition. This is good exposition where you're actually rolling out story and the exposition is happening as you peel back the layers of fat. Yeah, and it does, it's not trying to disorient you. Like, there are some shows when um, they throw you into something like this where they are trying to purposely keep you completely off balance. And what this show starts with, it starts with a really striking image of the Heli character, like, sprawled out on a conference table. Right. And we find out that they all start out this way because I think later John Turturro's character is like when I woke up on that conference table so they all start like you don't have to do that you have to throw right. a person on a conference table but this is how this all starts <laughs> you know and like and it starts with the who are you that's the question we don't know who she is she right. doesn't know who she is that's the space we're in and I think what's really brilliant about this show and we'll get into like the things it reminds us of but what's really brilliant and different about this show is that we've got Two POV characters sort of operating together and at odds with each other, or three if you count Adam Scott as two different characters. But like when you think about something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a which is one of my Jesus favorite movies, Christ. and like wow. uh, <laughs> did I hurt you by by bringing up that movie? <laughs> so good. But like rip your heart out. <laughs> when you when you think about something like that movie, like Jim Carrey is your clear. POV proxy through that whole movie. You're with him all, all the way. In this, we've got Adam Scott inside and outside who we're with because for a couple of reasons, one, he's Adam Scott and we're like used to going into the office with Adam Scott. That's a, that's a, that's a casting choice. That's really smart. But then sure. you've got the character of Helly, who's this new character. So through her, we're learning the rules of the office, but like, and not only that, but the two of them are at odds with each other. But we're only going home with Adam Scott. So far in these first three episodes, we haven't gone home with really anyone else. And so it's not like each, it's not like that lost inspired model that so many shows are chasing where each episode is centered on a character. You don't have like the Heli episode and the Irv episode. So like that's not really like that. It's like we're with Adam Scott, but we've got this Heli character 
We were learning a little bit more about her outside in episode two, but not much. And that's right. just that's just really different. And not only that, but our two sympathetic POV characters, Adam Scott's character of Mark and uh, Britt Lowe's character of Helly, are are actively at odds with each other. He's trying to keep her there. She's trying to leave. We like both of them. He's not the like creepy bosses, but he's still they're like their purposes are at. And it's that's just so like that's so that's a just a really distinct kind of tension to enter into a show. Do you know what I mean? I do. They make one person to me. Oh, the so two of them? They're both half a person that makes one person to me. I thought about this. She Okay, so it's interesting. She starts off and she doesn't know who she is, but she knows who she is. It's like she doesn't know who she is, but she knows who she is. She knows she doesn't want to play the game. She knows she seems to have more sense of knowing who she is than anybody else there. I'm sure that they all went through kind of the same thing, but she's rebelling in a very specific way, like, I don't know if Heli, Heli's Audi, I think she underestimated or overestimated. I'm not sure which way to do it herself. Him being so sure of everything that's going on, not even so sure of everything that's going on, but so would you say that he's been pacified in some sort of way? He's, 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 so, he's so indoctrinated into everything. He only seems like half of a person. She only seems like half of a person. Her skepticism, along with his acceptance, seemed to make a full 360 character. Because like, well, like, when, like when they're talking and stuff like that, he is very gently telling her, hey, you're fucked. And she's very gently telling him, you're a slave. And and so they're swirling up, and I feel like the combination of the two of them is going to produce some new ideas for like each one of them. So I kind of looked at them as like almost the missing part of one another. And so, um, even though I'm much more, much more uh identified with Heavily, because this shit is weird. Like we're down here, it looks like it's the 70s. It's like, what the fuck? Will you guys expect me to just work here every day and not know what's going on? It's like a it's like a weird, weird thing. But um, so yeah, the their two POVs, I feel like are the driving force like of the show. No, I love that. And I think I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that way. And of course, it's like it's baked into a premise we kind of understand. Again, a premise that we like have if if we're parks and recreation fans or party down fans, like of a, a premise that we've seen Adam Scott navigate before, which is like an office romance, a work romance, you know, and it's like right. we're not sure that this is that's what this is, but that's that's a familiar setup that they're using to give us something a little different and much creepier. Wow. <laughs> You're an inquisitive one. I don't want to be in there, do I? You're learning that you do. Hey, when we heard you were coming here, it was like a miracle. It's amazing what you're doing. All right, I want to talk about some of the things that this show reminds me of, and it's a really long list. Are you ready? I am. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So a show that you and I both spent a lot of time recently talking about, which is Loki, and there's like a lot about the, the oh, this yeah! office space. I the same thing. And, TV, and the TVA, like design-wise, you know. Both of them, I think, are drawing off of the Mad Men pool, so there's all of that. Eternal Sunshine, I already mentioned. 
the good place devs westworld office space with their like tps reports and like what are we even doing here sort of vibe brazil the truman show uh dollhouse and uh that just might be because of one of actress and then the conversation like 70s paranoia thrillers and 70 paranoia thrillers is a genre that i really like it's the genre of one of our shared favorite comic book movies, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And so that that sort of like on the run, can't really trust anything sort of, no one's really on the run yet except for Petey, right? But like that sort of what's happening here, there's, there's um, adrenaline pumping piano music happening. I think the score is really incredible. Theodore Shapiro did the piano score. Um, and it's just like, it's that piano score is giving me a lot of that seventies conspiracy thriller uh, feelings. Are you a, are you a fan of the seventies paranoia genre, man? I don't think I've ever heard it described as that till now. What movies would fall under this? So the conversation, or like Seven Days of the Condor, or those like just like a bunch of like Robert Redford movies, where you know like would blowout count. That's not the seventies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's that's like. A mystery wrapped in the thriller. Yeah. The, the paranoia thriller usually has more to do with like either a corporation or the government. You know what I mean? And it's just like there's something really shadowy going on. You're in the middle of it. You're the everyman in the middle of it somehow. You know what I mean? Like the, the firm. The firm. I was about to say the yeah. firm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the firm. So I, I definitely like I, le- I definitely like the firm. I definitely like movies like that. I would say I, I never thought about it as a genre, but I love I love films like that. Yeah, and then I think that early aughts surrealism, that like eternal sunshine, uh, being John Malkovich, Charlie Kaufman, Michelle Gondry, David O. Russell sort of stuff, and then the office comedy. And it's trying to do like all three of those at once, and they should clash, but they don't. And I think a lot of that has to do with casting, like John Turturro doing the most uh, with both a comedy role and as someone who is helping to shore up this shadowy establishment, you know, with his devotion and adherence to detail. I mean, I just think, I think the tone that they nailed here is really t- a tough one to nail and shouldn't work and does. What do you think? One of the first things I wrote down was this is a Loki sequel. Nice. It, yeah. it feels like you're in the same world. Yeah. You have a disjointed sense of time. Time doesn't make any sense. You're experiencing two t- time in two completely different ways. These people seem to be variants of one another. You know what I mean? Like the 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 first thing I was like, this is a Loki sequel. And then one of the coolest things is just it's just cool. It's like almost living in the alien world. Like when I watch Star Wars, I think, hey, you know, these motherfuckers can travel at light speed, but they don't have TV. You know what I mean? They don't have an iPhone. They don't have like you know what I mean? They 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 they're living in huts in the desert and shit. Yet they have this. They yet they can arc a laser. So when when whenever you have the combination of these high technological ideas with seemingly something stamped in time from a from a a world ago, it gives you this ethereal, otherworldly type of sense that in and of itself draws your curiosity out of your body because you're thinking to yourself, where if they're so high tech and they know how to do this stuff, why are they using dot matrix printers and shit? You know what I mean? So, and Loki had that in the same way. Yes, to almost everything that you said, especially when you talk about the parent, the the uh, 
the paranormal, what'd you say? The paranoia thriller. Paranoia thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else that heightens that is the calmness and the weirdness of the longer tenured Lumen employees that we meet throughout the thing. Uh, Like, everyone seems to be lobotomized in a way that makes you think either they lost a fight with Mm. themselves, either they were once helly, or they're so knowledgeable that they're pure evil and that there's something going on. And it's so deliciously off-putting that it works to also ratchet up kind of what's going on in the show. I think the best example of that is um, the Milchick character is played by Trammell Tillman, who's like, who's the guy who comes in and is like offering waffle parties or like, here's a melon plate or let's do this team bonding exercise. Like the, the pleasant menace in a character like that. And then just like clever little things like the, the, that they have a place in this office. It's called the break room and it's not where you go and have coffee. It's where this guy goes to break you. By right. making you recite a litany of, you know, asking for forgiveness for your sin. Sure. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, that eerie calmness. And that, that I think that, I think that, um, aesthetic that you're talking about, um, I think it's called retrofuturism, where it's like, it's a futuristic thing, but everything, they're using these like old clunky computers and stuff like that. And it just, it give it, it unsettles you. Absolutely. That contradiction, that tension. And I think the production design is doing so much work in the show. Like the ceilings are really low in these offices that gives you that just really stifled, suffocated feeling. The, uh, you know, the greens and the blues, which should be calming, but are not. Um, And the, they shot a lot of this on like in real places. There's a building in New Jersey called the Bell Works building. And that's where they shot a lot of this. You know how like all the Marvel shows look the same because they're shot in the same hotel in Atlanta. This is like <laughs> the, <laughs> the Bell Works building <laughs> in New Jersey. And then like some, some like housing developments in upstate New York. Like, like the fact that Ben Stiller, because Ben Stiller's, got this like upstate New York fascination um, escape at Dannemora was like an upstate New York show. That's something that Chris pointed out when he and Andy talked about on the watch, but like the, when you do a a futurism show and you use old real world locations that just adds so much more than like a completely CGI confection sort of um, space. I just, I love that. You know what I mean? That establishing shot, of where he lives. Yeah. With all those houses pushed together. Mm-hmm. You look at that and you think, that place can't exist. Like you, like you, you, you look at that and you go, wait a minute. So there's a place where all of these houses are bunched together. And don't don't jump in the comments, you guys. I'm from South Baton Rouge. I've been to the projects before. I know that there are different housing projects and they look, but that looks so specifically unlivable to me. Like it, it, it looks like if you had the money to afford one of those, why would you want to live stacked on top of people nestled into that little thing like that? But it's real, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. and so you wonder. It makes you wonder. That establishing shot is a great choice because it makes you wonder what that lifestyle is like, right? What, what that must be. And we see little hints. Hey, it's him and his neighbor lady who is Patricia Arquette, and. She's encroaching on him by putting her trash can in the wrong place. It's these little bitty inconveniences that his life on the outside 
seems to actually be made up of. His life on the outside seems to be about these tiny inconveniences that are mounting and mounting and building. So I think that that's another reason why uh, the retro futurism thing works is because the future, when you see it on screen, sometimes can be jarring. You're like, oh, shit. Look at that. He just teleported himself somewhere. Star Trek, Jesus. But if you, but if you, uh, <laughs> if you do it in a place that like is a little soothing, it's a little bit more intriguing in a way. But I think that the show visually, I think one of the things about this show visually is visually the show is telling so much story without dialogue. The camera is doing so much storytelling here. It's almost as if there could be long periods of silence and you know exactly what the team is trying to say. It really works in that way. I mean, long, long walks down hallways is like a, a big part of of this, like of the work side of this. And it's not just that opening where we, we follow Adam Scott for a really long time through the hallways, but also in a later episode when he's walking down narrow or darker hallways. And it just like gives you that rat in a maze feel and there are a few overhead shots like you know Hallie on the conference table but a few others that make this place look I don't know like a game board almost or like a or a maze in a lab and they're all rats in there and it's just like you know have you ever had have you had an office job like yes yeah me too yes yes I've had an office job I've had a uh, I've had a couple I think having an office job uh, was a, a test of what a scamp I could be scamping around, you know? <laughs> uh, so, like, the first office job I had is Capricorn Programs. Where we, me, Jeff, shout out to Jeff Burke. And me and Jeff Burke would be the office scamps. You know, we would scamp it on down. You know, we'd leave, go for, it was a very small office. It was like six of us. This place out in Burbank, they used to make these little clip shows. We all got to produce our own shows and write our own shows. We'd go around telling people we were television producers. We were, but not in any real way, right? And like, I learned how the dynamics of an office actually work. I learned what it was like because it was an overseas company with a, with a Los Angeles office. I learned what it was like the day for, not us, we could give a fuck about anything other than trying every single lunch spot in Burbank. That's all we cared about, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We could give a fuck about anything like that. But the management, the executives that would be in there, it's one or two people, would get really fucking fired up whenever the people from England would come because it was so important to them. And we knew that they would be fired up, so we would fuck with them. And like all of that stuff about an office is why I love office comedies because think about a place that you have to be every single day for all of that time. You do crazy stuff there. You have sex with the people there. You you fucking uh you make friends with the people there. And they're your best friends. Cause you see them every single day and you talk about different shit. You do whatever. You fall in and out of love with these coworkers that you have. You, you guys go through a month where you're super tight. Something goes wrong. You're down for a couple of weeks. You get over it. So inherently, I think there's a lot of drama in them. That's why I think taking that genre and turning it on its head for the show is resonating so much with me. What about you? What was your office job experience like? Uh, I've been I've been in a couple. Um, I think my most sort of soul sucking office job was I was a temp in New York 
for, um, I think it was Morgan Stanley, like some investors, just, I was like 18 and it was just like a bunch of <laughs> investment bankers and me not knowing how to use the fax machine in any given scenario. And just like, and you just sort of like try to make it up because you have, because every single fax machine, I mean, I'm sure that temps now don't have to deal with this because who uses a fax machine anymore, but like the, the terror of the fax machine, because every single fax machine is different. And if you're a temp bouncing around and you just have to pretend I guess you could ask for help, but that's not my style. And you just have to like pretend you know what you're doing in trial and error. Anyway, what I think is so interesting about doing this this show right now, and I, I alluded to this before, is that those office dynamics that you're talking about, the more enjoyable ones of like you fall in love, you find cool spots to eat, like all that sort of stuff. And I've experienced that too. Like, and even the annoying, soul-sucking ones. There's a nostalgia for all of that, a certain of nostalgia course. right now when people are like. There's a great freedom in working from home, which again, not everyone has been doing, but a lot of people are doing in this pandemic. There's a great freedom in working from home, but then you miss, you miss, you even miss your annoying coworker. You even miss the person who like wanted to talk to you about what you did over the weekend. And the last thing you want to do is talk to them. You know, you miss these, these characters played by John Turturro, you know what I mean? And you're just sort of like, there, there is this weird nostalgia for that right now. And I think what's interesting is that to give us this sinister workplace show during a time um, that I just, I just read about this. Day. I didn't know it was called this, but they're calling it the great resignation, like the great depression, but the great resignation. I know a lot of people are quitting their jobs, but like, I didn't know it was this big. According to the U S the U S Bureau of labor statistics, 4 million Americans quit their job in July of 2021. In one month, 4 million Americans quit their job. People are leaving their jobs because the pandemic has revealed a lot of truths to people about how they feel about, you know, office life or work life or whatever it is. A lot of people are in a questioning phase of their lives right now in terms of like, and that's from top to bottom. That's top corporate. And it's also like every server I know quitting their job, every barista I know quitting their job and trying, you know, not everyone has the luxury to quit their job, but like there's a lot of people quitting their jobs and just being like, I'm going to figure it out, but it can't be this, whatever this is, it can't be this. Yeah. And I feel like that's an emo that's a jolting current running through this show. Even though we're seeing a couple of these severed workers look like they're passive and pleasant. When we see, when we meet a character like Petey, Mark's like work best friend who he doesn't recognize the office played by the great Yul Vasquez, who I love. Um, and he's like, listen, Mark, you and I have tried to get out before. <laughs> like we've tried, you've right. tried, you don't remember it, but you've tried, I've tried yet. Then we cut back to Mark, as you said before, docile, servile back in this spot. And that, that sort of tension between the rebellion and the resignation is such an interesting mix for this show specifically right now. Absolutely. In terms of how people are thinking about their jobs. It also gives people a technology where they can split the baby, right? Well, you can quit your job, but actually not have to quit your job. And so to me, I look at that as being very fascinating in two ways. Number one, it's, it's so interesting what you said about like people's perceptions of who they are in their workplace situations during the pandemic. Because they're a lot like the people at Lumen. They realized that there was, or they were realizing that there was something bigger than them, something a little bit insidious that was over them, that was kind of sucking their human life force out of them in a way. And that was the structure of society that we've kind of created, right? 
we went through this intense time of worshiping all essential workers and going through all of this stuff with them. And then after that, it was just fucking over. It was, look, get your asses up, the rest of you guys, and get your asses back to work. Go out there and put your life on the line by running into all kinds of people every single day so that I can have my burrito. You know what I mean? And people were just like, people just looked around and they were like, they looked at their situation and they went, it's just got to be more to it than this. It's just got to be more. It's just got to be more to it than this. This can't be the thing. I'm not saying that there's not another thing. And I'm not saying that we don't miss those people. And hopefully we can learn how to better appreciate the people that work for us, around us, and with us. But they're just looking around going, this can't be it. And I feel like that's what Haley's doing. Mm -hmm. Haley's like, you mean to tell me that every day I come in here, I do this. I don't know really why I'm doing it. I don't know really what the purpose of this is. I don't know. I don't. I have so many questions about it, but I just have to do it every day. I have to do it every day because it's best for me, a me that I'm really not even in tune with. Like, uh, I don't even really know myself enough to know whether or not this is good for me or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I feel like there are a lot of parallels to how a lot of people feel about being in the workforce, being an American and world society right now is like, am I doing something for my job that is fulfilling and uh, energizing to me? A lot of people out there probably feel severed. So for them to actually do it, it's just really fucking dope. And I'm not going to lie, scary. Like the show is a little scary. <laughs> like it's like it's essentially asking a question, which is one of the most profound questions that you can ask. And I said this on um on the podcast that me and Mal did about, about Peacemaker, but it's like, do you really want the truth? Mm, yeah. Do you want the answer to the question? Or do you or do you just want, like I said on the Peacemaker pod? Do you just want an easier question? So, and and so like I'm I'm watching this and the whole time I'm just, I just dig the entire thing. I tell you, it's a stressful watch. This is a stressful show to watch. I'm not even gonna lie. Like there's some light moments, but I even have all kinds of questions. It's like, why Melon? Why not give these motherfucker a pizza? Would pizza break them out of the severance? Like why waffles? (laughs) Cheese is the trigger. What makes it so creepy is there's all these arbitrary rewards, not arbitrary rewards, but like the reward and punishment structure is not tied to anything in the external life, right? It's not you're going to get a bonus so that you can buy yourself a new car or whatever on the outside because your outside life doesn't matter to your inside life. So it can only be a waffle party that you get to experience here, a mug full of finger traps that sit on your desk, some caricatures that pile up in your drawer. You know what I mean? Like all this. Why sort would of like, that be the prize? Yeah, exactly. It's just so many questions. But it's perfect. Why would that like it's, be the, yeah. It's like perfectly meaningless. Or like my, the thing that gave me the, the, the strongest creeps in their, actual break room, not the break room, but their actual break room. There's a vending machine that takes tokens where you can buy Lumen products to eat. And you there's a jar of tokens, but you're only allowed two tokens a day. Right. So you're not paying for the snacks, but like you, there's a limit, but I guess it's an honor system. And it's like, you could just put snacks in your break rooms 
for your workers. But instead, they've invented this whole structure around it. And it cooks their brain so much so that when Petey, who's another unreliable narrator for us, right? Because like his his whole noodle is cooked as he's like blurring his outside sure. life and his inside life and stuff like that. When uh-huh. he winds up in the convenience store at the end of three. I need some tokens. He needs tokens. He doesn't know uh-huh. how to function without these, you know, the the way that the office has trained him to function. Right. And it's chilling. Chilling. I want to talk a little bit. You you mentioned before when when you're first watching episode one, you're not sure. Maybe the question is like, which Mark is happier or which, which Mark is better situated? The one who's blissfully unaware underground or the one who's who's grappling with dinner parties with no food in them, like above ground. Um, and a- Adam Scott in this interview he did for GQ uh, with Terry Ariano said something really, I thought that was really interesting. Because like, we understand Mark's motivation to sever. It's because his wife has died and he's got this grief. And it, similar to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you break up with someone, your heart is broken. You erase them so that you don't have to process this grief. But it's interesting because Adam Scott sees it a little differently. He says... Marcus decided that he's not going to move on from this grief. He just doesn't want to feel it all day. He's going to so he's going to leave for 10 hours a day or whatever. So he doesn't have to deal with it. It's almost like the grief is all he has left of his wife, so he doesn't want to let go of it. He wants to wallow in it as long as he can. So it's not just about like avoiding grief. It's actually about prolonging the grief. He doesn't you know, his sister says at some point like I'm not sure this is the same as processing it. She's asking him if he's like still seeing this therapist. The thing is he does not want to process it because processing it means moving on from it and moving on from it means moving on from his wife. And that's not something that he's prepared to do. So he's put himself in jello. Like he's put himself in stasis so that he can have his cries in the car because it means that he's still close to his wife in some way. I find that really interesting. What do you think? I just got kind of sad. So uh, um, I understand that very like directly. Uh, like my dad's rope is up here right now. And, you know, I, my dad died last year or whatever. But so my dad's rope is up here. My dad was a cowboy, so he's a lariat that he would use. And it was so funny and yeah. fun to watch him use the lariat. If you guys have never seen somebody who's really good with the lariat, that can like rope everything. You think it's bullshit. You think it's bullshit. But I once saw my father ask one of my uncles to stop drinking. And he he was like, it's like, you've had enough. And he stopped, stopped drinking. And my uncle got mad and it looked like it was going to be a big deal. And my dad took the rope and like grabbed the Hennessy bottle out of his hand, injected. And the whole family laughed and he diffused it. Wow. Like he was like, he was telling them like, you're too drunk. Like stop, like chill out. He's like, nah, I do jump out all wide. It got tense in my phone, and all of a sudden, like I look over and I'm like outside looking through the window, and the fucking bottle, like jerks out of everybody's laughing. I all see my dad with a cigarette in his mouth pulling the bottle on the up the grass toward him, right? So I have that rope right there, and like I think all the time, like should I put the rope away? Like you know what I mean? I like you know I, I walk in here. I got the LSU helmet on the first sh- on the top shelf. The rope's right there. Every time I see the rope, I think about my dad. Right, and there's this little, almost indescribable moment of pain, and and like you and you're like fuck, man. If you put the rope away, do you like put him away? Are you saying it's better to have forgotten him? Now, I would never sever. I want to remember these great podcasts that I do with you guys. <laughs> But like when I, like, you know, like when I think about stuff like that, 
these are real questions and like it's it's a it's an interesting way to go about it and you know we talk about this like when um when vision tells wanda what is grief if not love persevering and you're like yeah. god damn vision you spin <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh so I don't I don't know. It's a it's and obviously this is my father, it's his wife, so this is a crushing grief, but that's a breaking grief. That's somebody that you had the dynamics are different, right? That's someone that you had prepared to spend the rest of your life with. You know, there's this little weird deal that we make about our parents that we never really want to talk about, but you know, it's one that we've that we've made. It's one that they've made too, to be honest with you. But I don't know. But even that, it's like a very human thing. It grounds the show to me because there's a lot of whimsical shit happening in the show, and a lot of times, sometimes, like you brought up devs, right? Once again, devs, which is if you guys haven't seen devs, if you can get through it. Because it asks you to do some heavy lifting. I would say that you guys should check it out. All grounded in the exact same thing. The most human feelings we can have. That feeling of, fuck, I lost it all. And we go through creepy tech guy, uh, the whole nine thing. But that thread keeps you keeps bringing you back to the show. And I think that they're doing a good job of establishing that. While also making me wonder... If that was his motivation for doing that, and by the way, I'm sorry going off on a tangent about no, that, no, but no. it just struck me. Uh, but it also makes me wonder if that was his motivation for doing that. Obviously, now I'm wondering what was everybody else's. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why did Haley want to do this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, why? Like, why did everyone else want to? Like, why? Why did Petey initially want to do it? Like, what was everybody else's motive for doing that? Because obviously they can't find that many people, which is why not very many people work at Lumen. So in, in order to do it, I would have to wonder what everybody else's motivations for it were. And I think that um, when you have characters like Dylan or uh, played by the great Zach Cherry uh, uh, or or John Turturro's Irving or, you know, we meet Christopher Walken's um, character as well, Bert. Like, uh, like what a flex to have a show like this and like we've seen walk in barely just I, I'm a little bit. I wonder what the deal is. Yeah. Like he he just there's got to be something else coming like that's I mean I'm not I'm not mad about it but think about the fucking cast man walking Patricia Arquette is just hopping in and out of the show <laughs> like Patricia fucking Arquette is just hopping in and out of the show I mean she's got a lot more to do than Christopher Walken does but I'm like Jesus Christ yeah exactly but I think I think that those those questions so like you know a question that I have Whenever a new show comes out, the question in this like massively crowded, jam-packed landscape is, is this a show that's going to catch on? Is it going to be a show that's going to break wide? You know, this show was enormously well-reviewed by critics, but that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of people are going to watch it, especially on a platform like Apple TV+, Plus, which not everyone necessarily has unless they they held on to their Ted Lasso subscription. Do you know what I mean? Right. And yeah. so... Um, are people going to watch the show? And I want the, you know, the, uh, apparently they're scheduled to start filming season two next month. So, you know, it's going ahead, but it's, it, I still want to show that I think is this good to do well, obviously. Right. And so when, when I, when I ask myself, like, what, what is it that makes a show catch on and do well other than it airing on HBO on a Sunday? And like, 
a, a, a big answer is this idea of a mystery show. Like that's 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 the hook that so many people get caught on these days, whether it's Maravie's Town or Yellow Jackets. This idea of like, yeah, this idea of like a um the undoing the 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 Reddit detective sort of show where someone can like freeze frame. And this show has those elements that comes out of like the lost legacy where you've got like a map. Like we find a map in an episode and a map that you can freeze frame and pour over uh if you're someone who likes Which to I do did. that on Reddit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that that stuff is there. But sometimes those shows, those like mm, mystery box detective shows, if the answers you're chasing are just very surface level of like what's happening here. That's one level of engagement. But if the answer is like, if the question is who the hell is John Turturro's Irving and who is he outside and what brought him here? What would bring someone to do something like this? And we only know that answer for one character right now. That's a kind of, so that's like an, as you said before, existential philosophical question that we're chasing. Would I ever sever? I mean, that's that's why Eternal Sunshine is a movie that I've rewatched a ton of times and a movie that I love because it's a, it's a question. Would you ever do this? Would you ever erase someone from your brain and heart? And it's a question that would probably have different answers depending on the month, day, year that you watch this movie. And I think that's because it's such a profoundly human question. And maybe some people are like, no, I never would. But really, on your worst day of your worst breakup, would you not consider erasing someone just to erase that pain from your life? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And this idea that that Severance gives us um, of, in the pilot episode, we watch Mark cry in his car, get an elevator. The camera does that really cool pull focus yeah. move so that we uh -huh. know that like the switch has been flipped. But then he finds the wet tissue in his pocket. You know what I mean? Like that stuff is still there. And then Petey says to him, he says, you carry that hurt with you down there. You just don't know what it is. And I th I thought that was real. That hit me really hard. And, and this thing that Dan Erickson, Erickson, who created the show, has talked about this show as like something that about the intention, the way we intentionally hide certain parts of ourselves from ourselves. Right. Exactly. The d the yeah. denial, the shove it down, push it away. I don't want to deal with it right now. Right. Um, and how that will almost always, or I actually want to say always, come back and bite you in some way. Right. And right. you're going to end up bleeding out of your nose in a convenience store. In a convenience store. You know? Because you didn't deal with your shit. Yeah. Like, it, it... And also, this show is... So, it's interesting that this show is in upstate New York, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that we're talking about Andy Kaufman because Andy Kaufman gets there, then he goes, you know, he's gone overboard before. Do you want to say Charlie Kaufman or Andy Shoot, Kaufman? Andy Kaufman. That's okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's done it too, though. Yeah, he does. Leave yes. that in. Leave that in, Steve. <laughs> Don't take that out. I got confused Andy and Charlie right there. Charlie Kaufman. Are you about to Synecdoche to New York? Synecdoche. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. You watch that movie and you go, okay, Charlie. I don't really want to go. I don't want to know. This is too humid. Like you get to, you watch Schenectady and you're like, I have no hope now. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I mean? It's, it's, and it's a workplace thing as well to a degree. It's like, that's him really putting it out there. Just the frailty of everything. So there's a point. If you haven't seen Schenectady, 
Charlie Kaufman movie. I think it's like 2007, 2006, 2008 maybe. Uh, he's directing here. Go watch it. Watch the movie and then understand film places like Devs and things like uh, Severance and things that are like a little avant-garde and have to do with the human experience, but it wraps it up in like all of these things that we feel like we want and we need. And do we really want we need them or are we just looking for ways to pass the time? You know what I mean? So, um, but with this movie, it takes you right there, but it doesn't, excuse me, with this show, it takes you right there. It doesn't take you overboard. I'm right there with this. But for that reason, I don't feel like this show is going to be a rousing success because I think right now that we're we're talking about a show that's going to have a solid audience of very devoted people. Um, More than Party Down, Adam, so don't worry. It's going to be around. Uh, Party Down was a great show. Great show. You know, this show, at least to me right now, maybe it's a second season uh, Heat Flamer, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not messy enough to get everybody on. It's a little too heady for the people that just want mess. Yeah. And it's probably a little bit too heavy for the people that just want their 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 workplace uh, sort of comedy, drama, or whatever. So uh, it's a watch. And you also have to pay attention. Like, just say I saw a screener of one episode. We were a little we couldn't turn the captions on. And so we watched it three times because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we couldn't turn the captions on. It's not that we don't understand English. It's just that we were about to make sure you don't want to miss anything. The show demands your attention. And because we couldn't watch the captions, we couldn't have the captions on. We were like, did you get it? Let's watch it again. So, so the whole thing is for that, I think the show might not break super wide, but I think it will be a healthy show that's going to be a gigantic player for award season. I think so. I mean, certainly like visually and like direction and all that sort of stuff. And and as we get deeper in the season, we can think about performance. But I think that um, when you mentioned Party Down, which was unjustly canceled after two seasons, but is getting a revival (laughs) like everything, um, the stakes are different. For cancellation now, you know what I mean? And Apple TV Plus, especially with their deep, deep pockets, like the stakes for not continuing a show. I mean, I think this is going to get at least, I mean, I know it's getting at least two seasons, but I think I think that's where Apple TV Plus is, where they're like, we're at least going to give you two, two plus seasons. And like, they're chasing something that's a little different than just viewership numbers. You know what I mean? They're, che- they're, they're still in their infancy, This this streaming platform. They have one big hit. And then a couple other shows that have its pockets of fandoms here and there. But they're still, still, you understand what an HBO show is, right? But you don't yet know what an Apple TV Plus show is. And so they're still trying to identify, they're still trying to nail down their identity. And I think they want something like this, actually, that has huge critical support, even if it doesn't have massive numbers. They want both, obviously. But I, I think, agree. you know, I think they're chasing that like, High prestige uh, is is sort of what they're chasing. I'm trying to think of a comp is why I'm, I'm like I'm going around. I'm trying to think of a comp is because it's the thing the the reason why it's hard to comp it to HBO is because all of these HBO shows, HBO's been able to splinter itself. HBO's had the shows that have been like gigantic, huge hits, and they also won all the awards. Then they've had the shows that have been like 
critically acclaimed, everyone loved them, but like they weren't gigantic, huge hits like six feet up, like six feet mm-hmm. under. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then they've had shows that were actually terrible, but everyone loved, like True Blood and Entourage. Oh man, uh, I've been thinking be a lot about you. True Blood, which I a show that a trash show that I loved and watched all of. Guess what? The worst show ever that I've seen every episode of. I loved it. Yeah. What was the old vampire's name? The super strong guy? What, like he was the oldest one. Oh yeah, I don't remember because it's a trash From show and I didn't hold on to anything. Yeah. He was <laughs> the best character. Like he, like he was. Fuck that guy was hysterical. I loved him. But anyway, so it's, it'll be interesting to see. I'm trying to think, and I'll, I i can't conjure it right now. I will. I'm trying to think of a show because I understand, I get exactly what you're saying. And I think this show can be, and you look, it has some, it, it has some things going for it. Ben Stiller's a huge name. Um, he's behind it. People recognize Adam Scott. It's got a great cast. And I think it'll have great word of mouth. But uh, to to get into that real next level of cultural zeitgeist, I think it'll be an uphill battle. Yeah, and I mean, there's like you know, there's like a a Mr. Robot comp that might be there. Do you know what I mean? Where like yeah, Mr. Robot yeah. hit in that way, where people cared about it, really, really cared about it. Um, as we take this tour of like what else is on TV right now, I think it's I think it's worth mentioning a way in which the big trend for this you know, uh, winter, spring, are these, um, like fetishization or, or something like that, this chasing of these (laughs) Silicon Valley grifters and these people who have made a ton of money off of unsuspecting people. So if you're thinking about like super pumped, the Uber show, we crashed the WeWork show, the dropout, which is the Elizabeth Holmes show, inventing Anna, um, on Netflix, like all these sort of like grift money-making, corporation shows. And I think they they reflect the way in which we as a culture are still so deeply locked into worshiping like billionaire CEOs. Do you know what I mean? The way in which people, and uh, the way I say we is not necessarily like you and me, but like the Bezos and the, the Elon Musk and the Zuckerberg, like all of those figures. Yeah. They're the, they're, gods in our culture for better or for worse i would say i say worse but like that's the truth of our culture and so for a show to and this is this is a this is a theme that i'm picking up off of our producer steve hi steve uh who has been talking to me about the show like steve has identified this strong religious thread that is running through this show that there's a lot of religious uh language rhetoric a lot of visuals. I mean, again, that reminds me of the TVA, but you've got like the founder of this company, Kier Egan. The town is named Kier. There's statues to him. There's like big murals to him in here. Like the way in which we have <clears throat> revered the like robber barons of old and the tech billionaires now, that that is something that the show is also directly engaging in. Um, what do you think about that, Vince? I think it's very, very poignant. I think it's a, I think that people are just really interesting. Like Rockefeller and Carnegie and all of these guys, they thought so much of their fortunes that they gave it all away. 
They told their kids, you know what I mean? They told their kids they spent a lifetime making money screwing over people, and then they gave the majority of it away. They told their kids to go get it on your own. Build your and own pile. The, yeah, yeah and that's, and that's, <laughs> the, that's, the, that's the same thing that fucking uh, what's up? Buffett is telling the people. Like, they get to a point where they make so much money and they realize, hey, life is really not about making all of this money and making these little fiefdoms. You guys go do it all on your own. They start to hate what it is that they created, yet we never learned that lesson. Like, like seriously, we talk about the fact. I, look, I'm not hating on anybody that's made a bunch of a bunch of bread. Good for you. We talk about all of these things that are important, but the the it comes back to the fact that Elon Musk and the rest of these guys are super rich, so they must have the answers. I were I, I saw this 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 uh this headline that all of these monkeys were dying as they tried to implant chips inside of their brains. I'm like, you can look it up. They, they, you know, Elon Musk is trying to trying to implant chips inside of people's brains. He wants to do the Neuralink thing. And maybe one day that'll be a fantastic thing. I just got to ask myself, poor goddamn monkeys, man. Like, but he seems like he could get away with doing anything because he made the Tesla, which... We have one. He didn't even make the Tesla. He just glommed (laughs) on to the Tesla that somebody else made. Elon Musk is my my nemesis. Which we have one. So I'm a hypocrite, guys. I'm a hypocrite. We have one. So, um, but I don't know. And and I think to that point, it's another reason why like a show like this works for me. And it's another reason why a show like Dale's works for me is because they're putting us face-to-face with what essentially we're creating. Like, I used to go on Clubhouse during the pandemic when there was really nothing else to do. And let me tell you something. Of all the things that almost made Kalika lose all respect for me, (laughs) me being on Clubhouse all day long, (laughs) talking to people, was the top one. She just couldn't understand why I'm walking up and down the house yelling. Like, no, 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 no. One mic, one mic, one mic, one mic, one mic. It's my turn. One mic, it's my turn. You know what got me off Clubhouse? What's that? The fact that Elon Musk came on Clubhouse and all of these people who I really respected would just, I'm sorry, there's no other way for me to say this. I'm from Baton Rouge. Just on his dick. And I was just like, fuck, yeah. is somebody going to ask him about some actual real shit? About somebody <laughs> ask him, it's like, it's like, are we just going to stop dick riding the entire thing? And I think shows that make us reevaluate our uh, relationship to not just these people, but the things that they create, that they've created are very important. In this one, severance is not just a show, it's a process. It's something that you do. So the question then becomes, in the mind of the person who created this and thought that they were doing something good, why did they think they were doing something good? Who did they have to hurt to get this done? And why are people so protective of it? The question we should be asking all of these guys that we've put up like this. It's what's your actual goal? Because if your actual goal is just to make a shit ton of money, there's absolutely no reason why we should revere you. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not something to be revered. You know what I mean? It's not It's not something, you make as much money as you want, uh, but, but it's not something to be revered, put on the pedestal. So I think that that's going to be a question that gets asked in this season as well. Why do people, not just why do people sever, why did the guy invent severance? Why was that important? Why was why is Lumen important? What's really going on? Because I suspect that he invented it, or 
she invented it because there's a lady down there too. I liked her seeing her. And just, but woman, progressive. Let's be honest. Lady CEO in the 70s. That's pretty good. The why it was invented was for some nefarious, self-serving, weird shit. So you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna all, out there, you're gonna be out there with the protesters. I, oh, I'm definitely one of them. It's a weird shit. Yeah, the whole mind collective. There, I mean, like, and there's there's a cool political strain to it. Again, that goes back to the 70s paranoia thriller, but we've got this like Kellyanne Conway type figure, this like PR flack <laughs> for the company who like goes out and does spin on on TV talking about this idea of free choice. You're disrespecting the free choice that these people have made. And it's this whole free choice fallacy that you see the most in Heli when she was willing to like cut herself open to try to get out of there and only to find herself back there. And this idea that like there's a choice being made, that it's her choice, but it's not her choice at the same time. I mean, it's I think it's it's dealing with a lot of like really heady, interesting stuff. And I and I'm excited to see where it all goes. Any other big questions that you have for this season before we go in? Uh, no, I think we've covered them all. I think, um, I think, well, we've covered them all, but there's there's a lot of stuff that's still out here. Uh, first of all, is PD dead? PD died, right? It seems like PD died. Seems like it. Yeah, but it seemed like a couple of times before that it had taken him out. Um, so if that's the case, you can't sever. Re reintegrate, reintegrate, reintegrate. Yeah. You can't yeah. reintegrate. You can't yeah. reintegrate. Which that really puts you behind the eight ball, right? Like that's one that's one of my huge questions. If you can't reintegrate without bleeding your brain out of your nose, we're really looking at a lot of desperate people. Because what I think is over the course, if I have one theory, is that Heli's gonna spread like a virus. You know what I mean? I think Heli's gonna spread like a virus. I think there are a couple of characters that are gonna have some awakenings. But if we now know that reintegration means Dying in a convenience store, asking for tokens, or walking in the middle of the winter with a coat on, or with a with the pajamas the on, robe, it's just yeah. the robe. Excuse me, yeah. So it's like it's just it's a weird situation. It seems like our characters are trapped, literally in Lumen. I want to point to a performance or a character that I, an actor that I haven't shouted out yet, which is um, Deacon Lockman, who plays Miss Casey, the wellness counselor. Um, she's she, you know she she gives. John Turturro's character, Irving, his like whole, I'm going to tell you about your outside self, <laughs> an incredible scene that he's not allowed to emotionally react to and like all the things she tells him. But Dijon, um is an actress who wherever she turns up, she is, you know, be it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever, she she is incredible. She's the best part of Dollhouse, which is like a bumpy show, but she was so good on that show. So I'm just hopeful that we're going to get to see her get to do something really interesting because she's she's a she's a an actor. Whenever she shows up, I am like sitting up and paying attention. So yeah, she was great. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that is it. We did it. I think. Uh. For Severance one through three, we're a third of the way through the season. Uh. We will see what else happens. I don't know if we'll be back on this feed to talk about it. I think it's going to depend like how it how it how it goes, how our interest goes, all those sort of things. But I hope, I hope we get to talk about it more. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be back on the broader Prestige TV podcast feed to talk about, as I mentioned before, Euphoria, Super Pumped, The Dropout, Mrs. Maisel, all kinds of stuff is happening for you. Uh, this episode, this particular episode of Prestige TV was uh, produced by the great Steve Allman. Uh, and, you know, you could hear both Van and myself on the Ringerverse feed. Pew pew! 
talking about, I think, Batman for the next couple weeks. So, uh, so yeah, we will be there. We will be there. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Calling all podcast fans. Spotify makes it easier than ever to discover new shows to love. Get personalized episode recommendations and easily preview them before you dive right in. Find exclusive video episodes from your favorite hosts and guests. And with some, you can even connect with them through polls and Q&A directly within their episodes. It's everything you want in one app. So what are you waiting for? Try the podcast experience today on Spotify. Spotify.